So 30,000 foot view of this church that we call New City, right? And so I wanted to, I kind of created some pictures. I'm not a graphic artist. These aren't fancy, but I think it'll get the point across. So Melissa, let's just kind of jump in to these photos. And this is the first one. From a 30,000 foot view, very, very simplified. This is kind of how I see this ministry. Right? From the top, we have these discipling leaders. I just mentioned Hot Rod. Discipling leaders at New City Church are those who have been through our discipling process and been released to lead leaders, right? Does it make them better? Does it make them smarter? Maybe a little smarter in our language. But it's just those who have been through and they're prepared and they were released. Our leaders that have been released wear brown lanyards with name tags. Pastor Chris, do you mind standing up and kind of showing the, you know, you have on your lanyard this morning? It just looks like that. And so if you ever see, yeah, ooh, that's right. And so if you ever see somebody wearing that, you can sit down. Whenever you see somebody, um, whenever you see somebody wearing that, here's what you can know. You can talk to them pretty much about anything if you're comfortable with it. Like we trust, not that we don't trust other people, but these are people that have been through our process and that we say, hey, listen, you can speak on behalf and lead on behalf of New City Church. Summer, who just did the campus pastor moment, she's a release disciple leader who leads out in our foster adoption ministry. Summer's not, I'm not leading that through her. That is her thing that she is leading through that God has gifted her and called her and her family to, right? And so anyway, that's discipling leaders. The next level would be disciples. That's followers of Jesus. You can be a follower of Jesus and not be through our discipling process. But if you say, hey, I would love to lead at New City Church and be trusted, <coughs> excuse me, with more <clears throat> stuff, then our process is required. Nobody gets grandfathered in. This is just kind of how we have laid out our leadership structure here. Doesn't, but the disciples are followers. Like you could say, I don't ever want to lead. I'm just, that's fine. The next one down is the crowd. The crowd gets mentioned all throughout the scriptures. You have the disciples and then you have the crowd. Jesus talked to both all the time. The disciples drew close to him. The crowd heard. They were interested. They were oftentimes maybe really intrigued by what he said. But instead of stepping out of the crowd and becoming a disciple, they usually just went back home with some new knowledge. Make sense a little bit? The last level in the church would be the visitors. And that's those that just kind of come in maybe once a month. Maybe you're here today, you're just checking out. You might land at another church. You may call this one your home. But every Sunday, often in our story groups and other environments, we have visitors who just kind of come in and they're simply just checking us out. Outside the church, I would say we have three categories. The unawares, and then uh, we can even not even go necessarily there yet to that slide. But we have the unawares, the enemies, those who aren't for us at all, and then those who simply don't care. Now, what is the purpose of the church, right? And we just kind of showed you that slide. One of the things that I'm passionate about and the staff is passionate about as a church, so we can go to that next one, is that we make the unawares aware. Unawares is anyone in our context of the Kansas City metro area who doesn't yet know about the, the ministry of New City Church. They just don't know who we are. It could be they're at another church, they don't know about us, or they're in the apartments and they haven't heard about us, or they attend uh, one of your kids' schools and they don't know our ministry. It's just people who simply don't know anything about us. As a ministry, we want to help get the word out. Now, one of the things that we want to do next week to help with this, to kind of give you a place to point people to, next week there's a big game, right? Broncos and... Cam Newton, right? It's one guy against the whole team, right? And so next week, the game's at 5.30. We're going to transform our 5 o'clock service into a mini version of our service slash Super Bowl party. And so, yeah, it'll be fun, right? And we're going to make it for everyone. So, like, this is going to be the family room. Your kids are welcome. Those of you guys like, dude, I don't want no kid running around when I'm watching the game. That's actually me. Um, (laughs) We're going to have an adult version 
That sounds bad, doesn't it? We're going to have a, an, an, an adult party on the other side of this wall on that screen. No kids allowed, right? Uh, now, listen, all the drinks you want, it's at the bar right outside the corner. Don't bring them inside. Anyway, but we're just going to open it up and uh, have a good time. If you're looking for a fun, safe, free place to come watch the game with other people, you're welcome to come back here this Sunday at 5 o'clock. We're just going to have fun. It's an opportunity for you to make someone aware that currently isn't aware of this church that we call New City Church. We're not going to embarrass them. We're not going to freak them out. I promise you we're not going to turn it off during a Budweiser commercial. We don't do that, right? But anyway, we want to make the unawares aware at every opportunity. How else do we do that? It's word of mouth. We don't invest a ton of money, actually very little money, in any kind of marketing. No one in this room has ever received a flyer in the mail. Now, if you're in the apartments across the street, you might have received a door hanger way back in the day, but we don't invest a lot of money in uh, stuff that you were going to send out. It's word of mouth, it's our website, it's Facebook, it's that sort of thing. And so we're very kind of viral, if you will, in our approach to making the unawares aware. So if you're like, I don't ever want to, I'm never going to talk about my church, I'm never going to invite anybody to here, I'm never going to, then your, your network is not, maybe, maybe have a harder time to hear about it. Got it? So let's look at the next piece here. Next slide. There we go. So what happens when an unaware becomes aware? They move one of three directions. They either typically join us, right? Or they become an enemy. They're like, I'm not for that. I'm against it, actually. Or you know what? I simply don't care. So let's talk first about the enemies. How do we respond to the enemies? What do you think we would do to the enemies? Who thinks punch them? No. What do we do? Pray and love them, right? Love our enemies. Now, um, here's one thing that you need to know about your staff team, not just me, but the staff. We are not a group of passive people. And so if you're an enemy, that's totally fine. But if you start taking swings at this thing that we love, we will defend ourselves. That doesn't mean we fight back physically, but uh, a member earlier uh, told me, uh, she said, hey, such and such person called the church this week and asked you to call him back. And you didn't call him, and he's mad. He's mad at you. And I said, well, tell this person, one, that I've been in bed for three days sick, right? And two, tell him to get over it and be nice. And again, I'm a little sick still this morning, you can tell, right? I have just stuff from my father in me, my earthly father, Jimmy Dole Miller, that comes out at times, right? And come to find out, he didn't even call here. He called a different church. So, you know, it's life, right? It's life. But we want to love our enemies, but at the same time, we're not going to let people sucker punch us and talk. We want to love them and hope that they change their mind. What about the, those who don't care, right? Those who don't care, we want to continue to be kind to them and hope one day that they do. You know, uh, our location is no secret. You drove here this morning. This direction we have a bar. This direction we have a, a series of shops, Dollar General, all the way down to Big Lots. Every one of those folks are aware of, that we do this every single Sunday. Some of the folks that call New City Home used to work at those places and now worship here, although they've moved on to different career paths. But however, there are still employees that we've prayed for, written letters to, provided needs for, done funerals for, that simply don't choose to come and participate with us in any way. They know what we do. They've actually felt the love of our ministry. They just simply don't care. Man, I wish they would, but they don't. But that doesn't mean that when we walk by, we think bad thoughts about them. Or do un say mean things? No. We continue to be smiley face and asking the Lord to draw their heart to spiritual hunger. And that if they consider, man, I'm kind of I'm looking for spiritual things, that they might consider these people that have loved them 
this entire time. Amen? So that is why it is important when you come here and you see guys standing out in front of the bar or women in front of the bar or the Dollar General people out working, that you're not rude to them. Like we work really hard and have worked, been very intentional to have great relationships with all of our neighbors. We want them to like us. We want to represent Jesus well, not be called, oh, you know, those church people. I've never been a big fan of being classified as those church people. I want to be identified as a follower of Jesus, and he represented his community and his kingdom very, very well. Right? So that's kind of those outside the wall. What next? What about us in here? This is, it's really simple. This is what we want to do. Melissa, we go to that next slide. We just want to see everybody move them to disciple leaders. This is, this is the heart, right, of this church, is that if you're visiting, that you would choose to make this your church home. <coughs> Excuse me. And if you're, hey, you know, I'm here and I haven't yet followed Jesus, that's what last week was about. And that's the transition point from kind of the 30,000 foot view to last weekend's sermon, because is this even in the mind of Christ? Is this even Jesus's model? Is this even his thought process? And I wanted just to kind of now go back to our last scripture from last Sunday, Mark chapter 8, and then let that be the catalyst into a different thought. <coughs> this is what Jesus says. Remember, it's his final days on, before he hits the cross. This is not early in his ministry. It's late in his ministry. He's not talking a lot of fluff. He's getting right to the point on things. And he has his disciples, and he asks them that big question, who do you say I am? And then he looks past the disciples to the crowd, those who haven't yet engaged, and he invites them to be a disciple. And this is what he says to them, and this is what he says to us in the room who are a part of the crowd. He says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. But last week I gave you three words. For take up your cross, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, turn from your selfish ways, the word was the boss. Jesus needs to be the boss of your life. You can't be in charge and follow Jesus. It's really, really difficult. The, uh, take up your cross, the word was rejection. That's what the cross represented for Jesus. He was rejected by his people after he was identified by himself and others as being the Messiah, the anointed one, yet his people still rejected him. You will be rejected by a certain group of people in your life. It's inevitable. Jesus said, well, if they did it to me, I promise you they're going to do it to you. And the third step, he said, follow me, and the word was move. Like there is an expectation of movement in your life when you choose to uh, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow, that you don't just stand and, and, and watch Jesus from a distance. You go where he goes. And so how does that, and that picture that kind of in your mind, how does that call us kind of up into a deeper relationship with Jesus? I want you to look with me now in Matthew 9. 36, um, verse 36, and this is what Jesus says. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And when I read that this week, my first thought was this, me too. Not just me too, I have compassion on the crowd, me too, that there was once a time when I was the crowd. Most of us in this room, I say most on purpose, most of us in this room, before we were a follower of Jesus, we were in the crowd. Some of us in this room had this Apostle Paul kind of moment where you're kind of an enemy of the church or you're a don't care person for the church and all of a sudden on your way to something in life, God just smacks you silly and you have a meltdown of some sort 
And in that meltdown, you cry out to the Lord, and, and man, He saves you. And you go right from being an enemy or an unaware or a don't care right to a follower of Jesus. And you skip this whole visiting churches, and you skip this whole crowd thing. You're like in the club because God really got your attention. That's some of your stories. But that's not my story, and it's not most of our stories. I would argue most of our stories is we were in church for a while. We were going, we were checking it out, and then somehow along the way, something happened where you stepped out of the crowd into a following Jesus moment. I had a chance to share with some of our leaders a couple weeks ago my personal story. My personal story as a senior in high school, I went to a revival at Southside Community Church in Northeast Arkansas. And there, this gentleman named William Blackburn, who was a traveling evangelist, he gave a powerful message. I don't know what he talked about. I just know it was about Jesus. And at the conclusion of that, he did what every old school Southern Baptist evangelist does. He makes a call to come forward, right? I mean, I was the first one up. I mean, I hear I'm a young dude, you know, you got your friends, what are they going to think about you? Your girlfriend, what's she going to think about you? I mean, it didn't matter. I was the first one up there. And on that day, I gave my heart, I gave my life, salvation to Jesus Christ. No doubt in my mind. But what I've learned looking back, and I've kind of made this statement, that that, that evangelist unintentionally took me to the cross and then left me there. Because nobody followed up with me on the way out. Great church. It's a church actually where uh, eventually discipleship would happen in my life. But I went two years after my salvation moment, two years of when I did what I did pre-Jesus, I didn't feel the same. What used to bring me pleasure now brought me confusion and frustration. And I was praying, and I was asking God to deliver me. I was asking God for help. I was asking all of these great spiritual things. I just didn't have the tools to get past my sin into following Jesus. And I did that lifestyle enough to the point where I, had, I didn't know anything else to do but to go back to church. And you would think, well, that's of course. Why didn't you do that early on? I don't know. I'm dumb, right? But for whatever reason, I was, I was I mean, I just doing life. Not a bad kid at all. Not a bad young man. Just I was working 55 hours a week. I was, I was just trying to have fun in my early 20s. And man, God had to take away the things that are most important to an early 20-year-old kid young man, for me to go, you know what? I don't have any other thing to do. I just got to go back to this place where I found Jesus. I had relationships there. My uncle was one of the pastors. But it was there soon after that a guy named Chad Wood began to disciple me. It wasn't this clear process. Chad just did life with me. When he was going somewhere, he invited me to tag along, and I was willing. And, I, and as we ate, we ate a lot. As we ate... And as we worked with teenagers, we just talked about life, and we talked about how the Bible applied to different situations, and, and Chad just discipled me. And I stepped, in that season, I stepped from a person who was in the crowd into this following Jesus. I was kind of like teeter-tottering back and forth because I had salvation, but I didn't know, like, how do I work this out? And yet this guy, he helped me. I mean, listen, it is not our desire to introduce you to Jesus and then say, okay, now figure it out on your own. That can be very frustrating, and that's why we've worked hard about having a discipling process where we can take people and bring them. Jesus has compassion on us. If you're here today and you're in the crowd, look what he says to us. He says he has compassion on us because they were confused and helpless. Not evil, not mad, not bad. Just like in the, the crowd. Here's the, the frustrating thing about being in the crowd. Is you hear what Jesus says to do, but we really struggle with the faith to implement it into our life. And so we go back to our lifestyle. We go back home with new information, but not new habits. 
We go back to our lifestyle with this information, but yet there's nobody around us, no other disciples around us to help us hold us accountable to those things that we're hearing. And so you can be very spiritually frustrated and eventually spiritually turned off because Jesus just didn't work for you. And it's not the fact that Jesus didn't work for you. It's that you're trying to accomplish something on your own, and that is very hard to do. It's like, how many, how many diet books can Matt Miller read before I'll actually walk, run, or go to the gym? Right? I mean, makes sense? I mean, there's all kinds of information. There is nothing in this world that you can't learn how to do. Because of technology, you can learn to do anything you want to do. And yet, I've got Rosetta Stone, Duolingo on my phone, and all I know is Ola. I I can't even say that, right? (laughs) But I've got all this information. Somebody's got to disciple me to help me get there. Jesus has compassion. And he says, man, we're confused and the crowd is helpless. Why? He says, because they're like sheep without a what? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Not sheep that don't have the want, the want to or the know-how. They're sheep without somebody to guide them to the next thing. They're like people who like simply don't know how. And we stay in our don't know how. This is what I love. John 10, 14. Look what Jesus says here. Jesus makes this beautiful claim. He says, I am the good what? Isn't that fun? He says, well, these people are confused and helpless because they are sheep without a... And then Jesus says, umi, umi, I am the good shepherd. Nobody looked at Jesus. Like Peter looked at Jesus and said, you are the Messiah. Like Peter identified Jesus. In this sentence right here, nobody says, hey, Jesus, you're a good shepherd. No, no, he puts it on himself. And to his peeps, he says, guys, I am the good shepherd. Like I am he. I am the one who will not only take lead you to the next watering hole and help you to find pastures of rest and comfort and food. I'm going to protect you and I'm going to guide you. I am the one that you need that will keep you from being confused and helpless. But to have him, to identify him as a good shepherd, I would make the connection is to identify him as the Lord. Because when you identify Jesus as the good shepherd, what you're saying is, okay, I take the place as a sheep. And I'm a sheep who needs to be kind of led. And sometimes we have the attitude of, hey, you be a good shepherd and I'm going to be a okay, pretty good shepherd. And we'll both shepherd together. That's not the invitation that Jesus says. He says, I am the good shepherd. Let's read that together. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. A part of becoming a disciple of Jesus is stepping out of the crowd and saying, bah, I'm a sheep. I've been shepherd for too long in my life. There's been seasons when I've done pretty good. More seasons when I've just kind of... I'm a sheep. And Lord, I identify you as my good shepherd. Will you lead me? Will you lead me? Discipleship at the heart of it is Jesus lead you. Here's the problem with only having that thought. It is the work of the Spirit. It is the work of God in your life. But if you were to go off by yourself and say, well, I'm just going to have the attitude that only Jesus disciples me, well, then you're going to have a long road of figuring out stuff on your own. You better get every translation uh, decoder out there, right? Uh, You better have every app that you can get that can help you pinpoint every verse for every mood. Or or you could identify people who have been following Jesus longer in your life than you have in your life, and you could say, hey, could I maybe hang with you so that I can learn what you've learned so I can get there a little quicker? 
Does it make sense? Look what Jesus says here. So we started with 936. When he saw them, he had compassion. Then I skipped to John 10. Now I want to go back to Matthew 9, the next verse, verse 37. This is what he says after they are like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, sees the crowd, has compassion on them. Then looking at his disciples, look what he says. The harvest is great, but the workers are what? The workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more what? Workers into his fields. I want to bring your attention to a word here. He says, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to what? Send. Not make, not create, to send. Meaning, they're there. Like the workers of New City Church who are ready to help those move from the crowd into discipling, they are there. Ask God to send them because the harvest is plentiful. What's the application of today? Melissa, if we could put that picture up of just kind of the church with the arrows pointing up. The application is twofold today is that if you're in the crowd this morning, you would identify yourself as someone who has some information of Jesus, actually maybe a lot of information, but you're yet not yet following him, and you're definitely not making any disciples who are making disciples, I would invite you to step into an environment to learn. Like if you're in the crowd, what's a way that you can step into becoming a follower of Jesus? I'm going to offer you several things. Right? They're all on the app. You can sign up for any of these on the app or on a Connect card that's in the seat back in front of your chair. But we have four opportunities through the week that we call story groups. Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. They're all free. And every one of those follows the Sunday morning teaching in a conversation environment. This is a presentation. Those Bible studies are more conversation, facilitation-led, where you get to ask questions and talk back. It's a great, easy way for you to engage in your next step of following Jesus. My friend Dennis Grimm, who was a part of my discipling group, and Jake Peterson, they've started a fireside on Thursday nights. It starts at 745, and you can go home when you want to or until the fire goes out. It doesn't matter to them. But that's a way for a few men in the room, no women allowed, sorry, if you men in the room want to go and sit around a fire and kind of introduce into following Jesus that way, it's totally great. The fire has two questions for sure every time they meet. What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? Right? Because again, it's about following Jesus, not just sitting around a fire uh, getting warm. There's mom's groups that are led on, uh, once a month on Friday. I believe the next one's coming up next Friday. Happens on fr- Friday morning. There's a lot. There's the Old Testament survey that we heard about. There are several avenues for you if you want to take a step to get better connected in a growing, following relationship with Jesus. We provide those for you to step out of the crowd and to become a follower. And eventually, if I got my way, into an opportunity where you're developing people to do the same. That's for the crowd. What about the rest of us? What about those of us who are followers of Jesus? Here's my prayer, is that this morning, not a lot of flash, you can tell my energy level's low, that the Holy Spirit would poke your heart and He would say this to you. This has been my prayer. You're sent. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask Him to send more workers into His fields. Guys, we can't leave people at the cross. And we preach Jesus firm. We preach Jesus as Lord. We preach Jesus clearly. And shame on us if we have, like last week, three people got baptized out of this service alone. Shame on us if they walk out of that baptism water and nobody is willing to walk with them. 
and to what it looks like to follow Jesus in every area of their life. Man, I celebrate, as the scriptures say, when one person enters the kingdom of God. But I was that one person in two years. I thank God for his sovereignty in my life that I didn't destroy it in my trying to figure it out. And I invite us, those of us who are clearly followers, disciples of Jesus, what does it look like for you to be sent to help those who are coming out of the crowd? How do, you, how do we help them grow up in the faith? How do we not allow them to walk alone? So like here is like super, super easy application. For those of you who are followers, disciples, and disciple leaders at New City Church, it's a must that you don't, at the conclusion of each and every service, stand up and go immediately to your cars and go home. No. Can I ask of you? Right? That there could there be somebody this morning that simply needs you? Not this message. They need you. They need your message in your story, in your life, in your experiences, in your care, in your prayer. They need you. But if we just kind of say, went to church today and we kind of move out or we say, well, that's really not my ministry. No, no, no. Man, pr- I pray to the Lord that He would send the workers because the harvest is what? Plentiful. Plentiful. And there is no way in my mind that God is, that we've reached our cap at New City Church on who God is going to give us. But I have to pray also that we would take care of those that God sends us. I told the story last week about the prayer thing I was at where these pastors are standing up praying, God, please bring revival, please bring revival, please bring revival. And I, in my heart, I struggled so much with that prayer Because what would happen if God did bring revival? What would happen if all of a sudden next Sunday at every service, all three, there were chairs uh, that the 11 o'clock service was reflected at the 9 and the 5 and the chairs were all the way to the back of the room and all of these people came forward as the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to their number. What would we do? Would you look around and say, man, I hope Matt contacts them. No. We have, we have, we must be intentional. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, of investing in those who are coming into his kingdom to walk with them, to care for them, to teach them, to guide them, to point them to the good shepherd in all areas of their life so that God can trust us with more. And honestly, my prayer is, God, please, in your awesome wisdom, give us what we can handle and help us grow up in our responsibility as people, as disciples who make disciples. Does that make sense? Man, I, um, I got such an encouraging text. I want to end with this, and we're going to go into a time of communion. My mom sent me this text um, yesterday at 7.30 a.m. She says, good morning, son, exclamation point. I miss talking to you and kids. Really, she means the kids. Um, Dad said they'd been sick, but I hope they are doing better. I just finished my daily devotional, and it reminded me of you. If you have a time and you want to be encouraged, go to Turning Point Radio, September the 29th, and study, the study is about Nehemiah. As I li- listened to it, it reminded me of you and the vision God has given you to start New City Church. The many miles and hours you spent driving around looking for the right place to plant God's church. Who would have thought that of anybody having a church next to a bar? God did. You and Chris prayed and planned, and when people doubted what you were doing, God showed what can be done with prayer and faithfulness. I am so thankful for you and Jen and Chris and Rachel. Many lives have been changed because two goofy guys from Arkansas allowed the Lord to guide them on a journey that changed their lives forever. I love you, my son. 
And I'm glad you listened to God better than you did to dad and me. <laughs> Love, mom. Amen? And I, so you know how I responded. Thanks, mom. This is a great way to start my day. Love you. Right? Guys, let's chase with great abandonment what God has asked us to do. Man, this church is here on purpose. I'll take a bullet for that. And we need all of our followers to begin to lead and to help make disciples of those who are coming into the kingdom. Would you join me in the many others, the hundreds of others that are doing this? Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray and we're going to go into a time of communion. I'm going to ask our leaders to make their way to their stations. And Father, I think just a good transition this morning into communion is we remember each time we take the bread, each time we take the cup, what you did. Ultimately, what you did on the cross. Father, we recognize your ultimate sacrifice, how you gave us life through your death. But Father, I would also say this morning, as we take the bread and the cup, that we remember what you did when you were living before the cross, how you discipled, how you taught, how you explained, how you were patient, how you had compassion on those of us who were a little slow to get going. Father, thank you for your great, great love for us. And may we, this morning, I, just, I guess my prayer would be, as we take these elements, that your Holy Spirit be working in the lives of this people as songs we were singing, come in, come in. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, Father. That you would speak to the lives of your people and whisper to them, you can do this. I want you to do this. I need you to do this. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. Each time you uh, eat this, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, my blood that is shed for you. Each time you drink of it, remember what I have done for you. Father, these next few moments are for you. We remember. Communion, I would say this morning, is for the follower. The person who says, I'm following Jesus. And I would celebrate to know any person who would have identified themselves as the crowd prior to today that is coming forward to take communion for the very first time as a follower of Jesus. Maybe would you go up to that table today if that's your story. There's brown to green leaders, our discipling leaders at each of these tables that you would just say to them, first time follower. First time follower. Jesus, we love you. For Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Let's please take part in communion this morning.